I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. This episode is going to be an awesome episode for you listeners out there. This week, we have director Chris Allender and producers Krista Barini and David Vista, who are all a part of The Old Ways, a movie that is smashing Netflix right now. It's trending. It's doing great. If you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. They're all going to talk to us today and spill their guts to us in an exclusive interview about the film, the making of the film, and about their personal careers. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Now it's time for Strainwreck, the segment of our show where John and I discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on this episode. Today's episode, we are getting wrecked on this shit called Turbulence. It is a new strain, it is a hybrid strain, and John and I are high as a fucking kite. <laughs> yeah, we are. I gotta say, of all the ones you've got, this one has by far the most fruity smell. It's very fruity. That lemon kicks you. It's definitely got that lemon kick. Got that lemon lime, like yeah. Sprite. Yep, yep. <laughs> that pine saw. <laughs> that pine saw. Hopefully it don't taste like pine saw. It definitely don't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I feel like everything lately just is filled with orange hairs on everything. It's kind of like a, like a pale green color with like these orange hairs, but... It's got a shitload of trichomes in it. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know what? Um, I, I, I Like you said, this is the most fruity-smelling stuff we've had in a while. Um, it's nice when you don't just have something that's harsh but actually tastes, tastes nice. You know what I mean? So we're cruising here. I'm going to... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say to quote... Uh, uh, I can't think of the character's name, but I've seen the movie a million times, Pineapple Express... Dale Denon, mm-hmm. fucking Seth Rogen. I just want to shove it up my nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get us started here, man. Um, what do you got going on in horror history this week? This week in horror history. So released on for some reason a Friday the thirteenth, uh, September thirteenth, nineteen ninety one. We have Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, which we're aware that was not the final nightmare. But I really did feel like in the movie they did try to play it off as this was going to be the final one. I agree, and I'll be honest, I've always been honest. This is one of the worst sequels in the entire series to me, if not the worst. Um, I am. This one's hard to sit through, even as an enjoyable one. This is kind of like the Jason X to me. I know that's sacrilegious to some people because there's a lot of big fans of your your fiancé being one of them. There's a, there's a lot of big fans of this movie out uh, there. We have a guest coming up soon that is also a fan of it. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, um, I'm just, I'm not really a big fan of it. The, the humor's a little too much. I feel like they got too comfortable with Freddy being funny and being pop culture, and they just kind of like, just let it all, let it all go. And it just seemed like they were just too loose about things. It was too humorous, and I just, I can't, I can't get behind this one, man. I don't dig the power glove. I'm sorry. The power glove, the power glove is still awesome. It's about the only part of the film I do like, and as a kid who always wanted a power glove, even though they turned out to be like a piece of shit accessory, as, as a kid had always wanted one, I thought that was awesome. But yeah, it, Freddy, Freddy's not scary anymore. Um, I have to ask you, well, no, no, I'll save it. I, let, I'll save that so that way we don't get too far away from it, but... 
yeah, it's not that great. Um, I mean, it has ridiculous cameos from Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold. Like, come on. Johnny Depp comes back, too. He makes a quick appearance. That's a pretty cool cameo. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who else was in it? Alice Cooper. Yeah, he plays the uh, the asshole, uh, the asshole like father or stepfather, beating the shit out of Freddy. I believe it's his. Uh, I want to say it's his stepfather. I want to say it's his stepfather, but I'm not completely sure. Like I said, I kind of uh, lost touch with the series at that point. I'm not a fan at this point. Um, but I do like the storyline with uh, Lisa Zane. You know, like being Freddy's daughter. I mean, like I thought that that element was cool like digging into freddy's personal life and saying that he's showing that he has a kid i like that you know and i like showing that he was abused and that he was like the sick kid in school like you know torturing animals and stuff like i mean there's some cool elements to it but i mean it's just it's they ruin all the darkness with like all the humor that just falls flat oh there's also uh there's a, a Freddy one-liner that always cracks me up and it's the whole ear sequence the nice hearing from you carlos Oh, yeah 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 that's so and it's such a it's such a a bullshit like kill like it's so unnecessary to pick on a dude's handicap and that's how you kill him but i mean then again like we're talking slashers here and jason did like hatchet a dude in the face in a wheelchair but at least we do still have doc kodo still in there oh yeah absolutely and um also i would like to bring up today that uh today also marks the uh 56th anniversary of uh, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster by uh, Shiro Honda, part of the Showa era of Godzilla films. Uh, to the uninitiated, Ghidorah is Godzilla's arch enemy. Ghidorah is the Joker, and Godzilla is Batman in this scenario. And uh, this is Ghidorah's first appearance, and he goes on to have some epic battles with Godzilla throughout the series. Rodan and Mothra actually team up with Godzilla and chase Ghidorah off. Uh, <laughs> it's really funny, because in the old films, Ghidorah never dies. He just gets his ass whooped, and then just like flies off to fight another day. Like He just always gets away, so it's, it's pretty cool. So definitely worth mentioning that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More and more Godzilla. But uh, uh, I was going to ask you, uh, with Freddy's Dead, would you rather watch Freddy's Dead or the remake? Oh, uh, um, Freddy's Dead for me, easy. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna have to go with you. Yeah, Freddy's Dead. Because I mean, even though it's a terrible, it's just like it's kind of like watching. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna throw you a bone here, doggy. I'm gonna throw you a bone here. It's like watching Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> it's not Michael Myers to me. I'll, I'd rather watch part six, even though that's a piece of shit film. I'd rather watch that than watch Rob Zombie's Halloween because although the movie sucks, it's still Michael. And I feel that that's kind of the scenario here with the Freddy thing. Yeah, and this was another another one of uh, New Line Cinema's not great 90s releases. <laughs> well, I guess this one kind of kicked it off. And then, yeah, Jason goes to hell. And it took forever to get our Freddy versus Jason movie. But New, New Line was not not putting out great stuff in the early 90s no i i definitely agree and uh this was uh like you said this wasn't the last one and thank god they rectified that because uh that would have been a hell of a way to end freddy like i would not have been happy had uh you know had it not ended with new nightmare new nightmare was the proper way to end it now it's time to get the puff puff ass the segment of our show where we answer questions from our listeners sent to us via social media and email
All right, I'll start us off here with a question from Brenda from Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, Brenda asks, when judging a film, do you tend to judge it based on its quality, like cinematography and production quality, or do you judge it on pure entertainment value? That's a pretty good question. Uh, I think that it, it it really depends on the movie. That's a, that's the the best answer for that. That's not that's like to answer that with one answer is a blanket statement. What applies for one movie does not you know necessarily apply for the other. Like uh, Joe Bob Briggs, for example, he gave The Prowler, one of my favorite slasher films. He gave that two stars, but he gave Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bowl Rama four stars. So I think that it's uh, it's all in the eye of the beholder, really. It depends. Um, there's movies out there right now, like uh, Psycho Gorman, that I'm obsessed with, that you know the effects are good, but there are some that aren't good. But it's the humor uh, that, that, pulls, that, that allows it to, to work. I think that in order to pull movies off, you need to know what it is and it needs to be self-aware. And uh, if you're going to be ambitious or, you know, you need to make sure that you even that out with like things that aren't going to make your movie ridiculous. The worst thing that you can do is, is make a movie that's trying to be serious and just have it suck. Like you need to be self-aware. You need to know what you have. And uh, so I think that it all depends on the movie. I think, you know, like for example, I would take Psycho Gorman over like the Conjuring films and look at how much more money they're made on than Psycho Gorman. But on the other hand, I would take Jaws over Psycho Gorman. So again, it's like it's not really about production quality to me. It's about the it's about the movie quality and what's there. It's about yeah, that's the best way I can answer it. What do you think, John? Oh, here, I'll pass this over to you. Um, yeah, I I kind of have to agree with that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rate. Um, I just lost the movie. I, the Sixth Sense. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rate that the same way I'm gonna rate Sharknado. Like I'm going in. I know what Sharknado is, and people are like, "Oh, it's a terrible movie." It is absolutely a terrible movie. But I'm fucking entertained watching it. Like that's the whole point of it. And I feel like, as horror fans, we we have, we usually know whether a movie's trying to be taken seriously or it's just a movie to have fun. I agree. Like, don't play with us. Like we, we know what we want. Now let me pass this to you. <laughs> um, we know what we want. And, uh, yeah, it's like, sh- like, don't, don't bullshit us. Don't try to be this like epic twist, uh, twisted plot story with, you know, all these like drama acted characters when you don't have good actors and you don't have a good story. Like just stop, like just work with what you have. Like if you have a small budget, then make a movie that is okay to be ambitious, but make sure you live within your means on that. And that's where a lot of movies fail. That's the worst part is you'll be like, man, this movie is really not funny because it's trying too hard or it'll be funny for all the wrong ways. If you know what you have, like, for example, I'm going to bring it up again. Psycho Gorman, John, you just watched this. Like, like they knew the, they knew exactly who that movie's aimed at. And that's exactly why it's so fucking popular. And they knew it was ridiculous. Like, yeah, it didn't take itself. It was self-aware. Yes. But it was entertaining as hell. I don't, I don't know the time. Honestly, out of a lot of movies, I don't know when I've laughed more at a movie. But that's I told you that's the the hardest I've seen you laugh at a movie in a long time. Like from almost like five minutes in, there was just we were laughing, and, I, and it's just one. Of, it's just one of those movies where they knew, hey, we don't have a huge budget, but we do have a sense of humor. So what we, well, you know, very like, self aware. Yeah. So what you don't, what you're making, what you're uh, missing out on, and say effects, 
instead of somebody watching your movie going, damn, that sucks, like their effects suck, they're like, no, we'll make up for it with humor. So you know what? The fact that it's funny, it kind of erases the fact that the effects are corny because now the effects are funny too. They're not bad. It goes with the humor. You have to work with what you have. Yeah, and uh, going back to what you said about Joe Bob and his rating scale, look at uh, what he did Halloween 5. He spent 15 minutes just talking about how terrible of a movie it is, and then gives it four stars because any Halloween's better than no Halloween. Like, And any Halloween's better than Rob Zombie's Halloween. I mean, facts. <laughs> Unless it's Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and then, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's get into another question. All right, all right. What do you got going on over there? Uh, from Warren from Sioux City, Iowa. It's kind of somewhat goes with the last one a little bit here. Uh, horror fans tend to watch bad horror movies. Why do you think we as horror fans are willing to watch movies that are technically not shot well, have bad effects, or editing, acting, etc.? I think it's because as a horror community, we've come to accept that they are not going to get the funding that other movies are. And we're just more willing to accept that some stuff isn't going to look good. But as long as you tell a good story, like I'm there and the effects, the effects cannot be the greatest as long as they don't take me out of the movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that, uh, all horror fans, um, I hate to use the term true horror fan because that's really a term that like, People try to use the swing their horror dick. It really means nothing. <laughs> there is no such thing as a true horror fan. There's just horror fans. But uh, uh, yeah, going back to it, um, like I feel that uh, like like hardcore horror fans, the people who like have watched it lifelong, like we have, um, they have a high tolerance for bullshit. We all have a high tolerance for bullshit like, and what we'll watch. Like, we will watch some ridiculous ass stuff. Like, people who don't watch horror have no idea the, the sort of satire that we have to sit through in some of these horror films that are just sometimes it's great, sometimes it's terrible. But we have a, we have a very, we have a very high tolerance for bullshit. But part of it is part of what I've noticed is that a lot of horror fans are either like have anxiety and or depression. And, uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that horror fans in general have in common is that we can all agree that horror creates an escape. And I think that horror is fun. And that's part of why we keep coming back to it. It's that scare. It's like that roller coaster ride. Like as soon as you're done, you want to get back on. And I think that we're always willing to take a fun ride. So we're always willing to give it a chance. I think that's why we open ourselves up because we're always, like, you never know. There, there's always a diamond in the rough somewhere. And also I think it's because a lot of times, I mean, the stories aren't realistic to start with. So it's a fantasy story in a sense to start with. And so what if the effects aren't the greatest? Like it's not, it's not like you're like telling the biography of Napoleon. Like, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude, but who wrote this question? Warren from Sioux Warren? city, Iowa. Warren. Okay. Warren. I just want I just thought of something, Warren. Why would you write two stoners and ask them why they have a high tolerance for watching bad horror movies. <laughs> I just realized that you're, I would watch, I would watch the news right now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, like I said, I mean, we, we can definitely understand the low budget. That's a lot of these are produced for because Hollywood does not care for horror. Horror doesn't sell to the mainstream. So it's always going to be smaller budgets, but I mean, there is, there is a couple studios out there that are, are fucking kicking ass. It's funny because like, it just goes to show you how horror does transcend and that the, just despite people trying to put their boot on its neck and hold it down, it always, it always comes back and like fights back. Cause think about it, dude, there's so many sequels or sequels. I'm sorry. There's so many comedies 
and dramas that suck. When comedies and dramas suck, they just fucking fall off the face of the earth. Like, plop, they're just gone. But when a horror movie, like, sucks... People will watch it for fun. Like, you know, they'll be like, oh my God, yo, we got to watch, uh, we got to watch Critters 3. You know, well, not that Critters 3 is a bad movie. I like Critters 3, but you know, like they'll pick something like Ghoulies or Troll or something just fucking ridiculous. And it's like, you can't do that with any other genre. You can't just be like, yo, let's go pick out a bad comedy. You're going to sit there bored as shit. You know what I mean? Like, but, but when you have like a horror movie, like it's different. It's just different. And they're celebrated too. I know, I know they're cherished. <laughs> the only like, the only other movie I can think outside of the horror community that it's just a bad movie that celebrated is The Room. <laughs> your movie, your movie. I, I need to watch that again. Now that is one that we need to revisit and get fucking baked I'm, for. I got the Blu-ray. <laughs> it's in my car. You got it right there, ready and available. Ready and available. Tommy White says the man. All right, well, uh, let's move on from here. Um, to you listeners out there, thank you for writing in. Uh, do not forget to keep writing us uh, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at High on Horror 420 or email us at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. Now it's time to get into our review slash discussion of this week's film, The Old Ways. The Old Ways is a 2020 film that's making its way onto Netflix and debuted at number one. It is uh, directed by Chris Allender. It's the story of Christina Lopez, played by Bridget Callie Canales, a Mexican-American reporter who returns to her ancestral homeland of Veracruz, Mexico. She's chasing a story on witchcraft and faith healers, and she becomes the subject of her own story. She's kidnapped by a local bruja played by Julia Vera and her son played by Sal Lopez. She's held against her will for a terrifying reason. They believe she has a demon within her and won't let her free until they exercise the malevolent force no matter what it takes. As she struggles to make her escape, she slowly comes to believe that they may be telling the truth after all. Along with her captors and her estranged cousin Miranda played by Andrea Cortez, uh... Christina's fight for survival turns into a fight for her soul. We just talked about films that are self-aware and that like live within their means. And this is a prime example of that. This movie flourishes because of the small cast, such a small cast. It's like, it's just like, like reservoir dogs with Quentin Tarantino. You get a good cast and you get like one setting or two settings and you just focus the movie there. It's story-driven and character-driven. You don't need 40 different sets. You don't need 50 different locations. And uh, that's exactly what happened here. This is a small cast, but it's it worked because it's quality. So all the acting is good, and because of the cast being small, everything is focused, it's story-driven and character-driven, and that's what... The, the, this movie works to its strengths, 100%. The people behind this film, like Chris Allender... Definitely knew what they were doing. You can tell this is no amateur film. Yeah, and with it just having that one location, the set looks great because it's just that one location. They were able to just pour budget into that and making making that stage look good. It, it looks so authentic. Like, everything about it, it doesn't look like cheap sets. No, and I mean, and the other thing is it's a, it's a fresh take on the possession slash exorcism film. 
and it's it's great. I enjoyed it. I'm I can't think of another another Mexican possession film. Can Besides, you? I can think of season one of Ash versus Evil Dead <laughs> when there's it's not the same thing. Yeah, but yeah. that's the only other Mexican bruja that I can that comes to the top of my head oh. that I can think of. Um, but I mean, Ash versus Evil Dead did it pretty well. But this is like feature length. Yeah, I did like the uh, Brujo in Ash versus Evil Dead, but I won't get I won't get off onto a tangent. Uh, that same actor who plays the Brujo, though, uh, he's really good in a uh, show called Brockmire. Uh, but anyway, you've told me about it. I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, anyway, getting back to uh, the old ways, I definitely enjoyed the fresh take on it, and like, like we said, I can't really think of too many Mexican possession slash uh, exorcism films. And it's really well done. Uh, there's a, there's a, well, multiple messages hidden with, within it. It's not just a exorcism film. I agree. And the thing that I like about it again is that uh, people have, I mean, it's no, it's common knowledge. It's nothing that people haven't figured out or don't see already. But people have lost the concept that characters and story is what matters, not effects and kills. And this movie utilizes that. This movie does not like like nowadays most exorcism movies. There there is no character development or story. It's it's always some sort of like secondhand hack job reason as to how somebody gets possessed. They're trying to be original, but really it's been overdone so many times. It's just not original. You get these uh, these 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 possession movies that are just like just 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 nothing but uh there's nothing to them and there's no character development and then, and then about wall climbing get yeah. in their body but, but when it's not like contortionism and like you know yeah oh, look what i can do with my body or well, how what vulgar things can i say you get movies like song movies like a uh, song of solomon where it's like they try to take the possession movie and go like extreme horror with it and it's like everybody's trying to do everything with the possession movie but focus on the fucking characters and the story and this movie did that I agree 100% with you. And and uh, like I was saying, there's some other hidden things in there. Well, I wouldn't say maybe so hidden, but definitely uh, losing touch with one's like ancestral roots is in there. One that both you and I picked up, and like we said when we got the screener, that we didn't see any other reviews out there talking about it, was the um, addiction aspect to it. And... Uh, the other thing I really enjoyed is it felt like halfway through you, you knew the path that it was going to go this traditional exorcism movie. And then you're like, well, it feels like it's wrapping up. And then you're like, there's still half a movie left. And I feel like it took, it took a good, uh, route change about halfway through. It's paced very well. It's paced very well. There's, there's never nothing not happening. It's, it's, there's always something happening. And like you said, and, by the time you're like, oh, damn, enough's happened to where I feel like this film's about to wrap. And then you look and you're like, wait, there's still half a film left. Then you realize, oh, it's got another ways to go. And there are definitely some twisted turns that you're not expecting going in to happen that pop up. And it's just it's a very crafty and cleverly written film. And like I said, the pacing is really well done. How it starts off, it's kind of edgy. Then you get your like slow down of, oh, everything's going to be okay. And then it's like, nope, you got half a movie left. Yeah, and... It's shot beautifully. It's it's really well done. I mean, and they they used everything they could. You can tell f filming to get every every part of that shack. Yeah, I agree. It's everything. The settings look very 
authentic. And that's what makes the movie so believable is that, you know, like they're not from a rich part of the world and this, where they're at in the film. So it makes sense that like where they're at does it, it looks authentic. It looks exactly yeah. what you would expect. It, play, and, it plays up to what it's, what it's supposed to be. Correct. That's what I mean. It looks authentic and that's why it works is that, you know, it doesn't look like somebody just uh, hammered some boards together and made a quick set. Like you feel like you're there, you know, and like the, the atmosphere that's created isn't I, I think that the the atmosphere of like the 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 mexican type of possession or brujo like the whole told the whole everything they believe in with the goat's milk we aren't used to that culture as americans watching that so i think that watching this with that sort of atmosphere watching the old ways with that sort of atmosphere is something else that's just unique to take in because it's not something you're used to so right all right away going in this is kind of something fresh which is not something you could say about a lot of horror films yeah and i feel like uh most American audiences aren't going to be familiar with any, a lot of the traditions down there. So I feel like that also gives them a leeway that they can play with stuff because it's not something we've seen before. Agreed. Agreed. And it's not just, you know, uh, the devil and demons and, uh, creepy nuns and that type of stuff. It's possession in a different way. And, uh, it's almost, almost, it's almost as much of a psychological thriller as it is a horror film, because it's like it's like uh, Christina, you know Bridget Kelly uh, Canales. She she mentally when she's going through withdrawal, it's like a legit horror film. You know, yeah. it's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, and I gotta say, um, if I ever become possessed or whatever, I don't want to have to deal. I get 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 me uh, some Catholic priests. It seems to go a lot simpler. There's not as because that's some hardcore shit <laughs> the fucking Bruhas are doing compared to fucking Power of Christ compels you from exorcists. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think I have anything else to say. I, I, I kind of, I think you dropped the mic on that one. And now it's time to get on to Burn and Learn, the segment of our show where Drew and I give you some behind-the-scenes facts on the episode's main topic, this being the old ways. Oh. Hmm. Burn and learn. Director Chris Allender and writer Marcos Gabriel have collaborated together for 25 years. The film's origin started by Marcos Gabriel piecing together disparate anecdotes that his mother had told him about her youth in Puerto Rico. The Old Ways wrapped production one week before all of Los Angeles shut down for COVID-19. Director Chris Allender took the time off at home during COVID to learn to sculpt and do character animations and handled all 3D animation himself. Lead actress Bridget Kelly Canales made her film debut in Baby Driver, which was directed by Edgar Wright, who also directed Shaun of the Dead. Julia Vera, who plays the Bruja, has over 100 film credits on IMDb. Sal Lopez, who does a great job in The Old Ways, had a role in Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket as Rock. And Sal Lopez also had a role in Edward James' almost movie, American Me, where they aged him from being his actual age of 22 to 50. It took three tries to film the close-up shots of the red book pages because the memory card got corrupted each time. We all thought it was haunted, said the director Chris Allender. Michelle Jubilee Gonzalez, who plays Christina's mother in the flashback, is also the stunt double for Miranda, character played by Andrea Cortez. The psychic surgery scene was originally filmed as two separate scenes. When we decided to combine them, we had to flip a bunch of shots and do some CGI to make the continuity work between different wardrobes and which side of the face Loza's eyes was on. 
says director Chris Allender. The scene with the black snakes features zero post-production visual effects. All of those shots are 100% real. The hair vomit scene was achieved with a mixture of wigs, molasses, and honey, and was also 100% real. Actress Julia Vera, who played the ancient Bruja Luz, performs all her own stunts. Andrea Cortez had to learn an ancient Mexican language known as Nahuatl for her speech as the demon Potesky. Uh, that's her actual voice in the final mix. Uh, they just altered it digitally to make her sound more demonic. All right, well, now let's get into our interview. Let's talk to the people behind the old ways themselves. Soapbox Films has brought us great films like Southbound and the Mortuary Collection, which I thought was friggin' amazing. With us today, we have producer and director Chris Allender, as well as producer David Viste and producer Krista Barini from The Old Ways, which is now streaming on Netflix and it is trending and it is doing awesome. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Krista. And thank you, Dave, for being on High on Horror. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, all right, well, um, before we get into the old ways, I want to take a second and go around and uh, ask all of you a question about, you know, yourselves and your careers. Uh, I want to start with you, Chris. Um, you're a producer on a lot of horror films. And, uh, you know, I want to know what draws you and your artistic vision to horror films. Yeah, um, you know, I just I really like world creation type projects where we're making something that doesn't exist otherwise. And um there's a lot of room for that in horror. I, I, I like, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm like a straight down the, the shoot, like only diehard horror fan, but uh, I grew up loving it. And uh, a lot of my, my friends are making great horror stuff. And um, it's a great way for independent filmmakers to kind of get into the film industry and, and do some creative stuff. So I guess that's, um, that's kind of where I come at it from. I just enjoy, you know, all the movie magic stuff and you get to kind of do all of that in horror. So it's a good place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, horror is a very diverse, genre, diverse genre. And, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, also how did, uh, you and Marcos end up uh, working on the Muppet show together? <laughs> um, well, my production company, um, soapbox films, uh, we started, around 2002 and um we primarily do like production and commercials and short form content for the studios and um disney is one of our biggest clients and um at some point uh gosh 18 20 years ago ish um somewhere around there maybe 15 years disney bought the muppets uh from the hensons and um we're trying to find out trying to figure out what to do with them. And, um, we came along, we had a, you know, a good reputation with, within Disney and we pitched uh, a bunch of viral videos and they said, that sounds cool. So we, we did a bunch of, um, stuff for YouTube with like, uh, I don't know if you've seen, um, the Bohemian Rhapsody video or, um, we did Ode to Joy and a bunch. We probably did about 20 ish, um, 
short films. And it kind of just started this long, now it's been a very long relationship with the Muppet studio inside Disney. Um, and we've done all kinds of things just from like special effects to producing to writing and directing and music videos and um, short films. We did the um, Muppets now for Disney plus that came out, um, I guess last year and we've got a um, pretty cool horror, well, pseudo horror Halloween uh, special coming out um, pretty soon. Um, that you can check out on Disney plus, I think in October. That's awesome. I, I appreciate uh, the diversity that you guys are applying and not just doing um, just straight horror. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's when I saw that. I was like, yeah, I got to ask him about that. Oh yeah. I've got steampunk. Look it up. We do it all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Krista, this question's for you. You did the short Brackish, um, which is a horror film, uh, and uh, Dave Vista was a producer on it. Uh, what made you want to direct a horror film and get involved in the genre? Um, that's, yeah. Uh, so I actually ended up having a, a similar response to Chris, really, um, in that uh, I wouldn't say that I, I exclusively do the genre, but uh, it does things like horror and fantasy and sci-fi allow for a more interesting level of world building and, uh, and, and creation than, you know, straight drama or comedy or anything like that. And uh, you get to play in a much more interesting arena. And, uh, and I, I find that very, find that very interesting, I, you know, coming up with worlds and characters that uh, are beyond what exists in our own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely. And uh, Dave, uh, you are no stranger to horror either. Uh, you have a nice resume. I want to ask you, what attracted you to the old ways? Well, I think, um, I think honestly, the thing that I like about horror in general is something you find in a few sort of genres, but it's the ability to utilize the medium as a way to explore allegory and bigger ideas in the world. And I think the old ways is a really, you know, nice examination of addiction and um, dealing with your own demons that are psychological or real. Uh, and I really think that Chris and I worked together on The Wind. We both produced that together prior to this, and that's where we first met. And so when Chris brought me this script as something that he wanted to direct, I just thought it was, first of all, something that I really believed in. I also really believed in Chris. I wanted to see his vision be allowed to be delivered to the world and be a part of helping do that. Um, so that's why I like working with, uh, you know, filmmakers who have clarity of what they want to do. Um, so that was roundabout, but that's where I got to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like uh, that you touched on the uh, the addiction part. I'd seen a lot of reviews online, and uh, Drew and I had both talked about how we noticed uh, being an allegory to addiction. And I didn't think that many people, nece reviewers, necessarily picked up on that. Um, and I know uh, Marcos initially came with the idea of making about cultural identity. Um you really wanted to touch on how we lost touch with our older traditions. Uh, what, what did you all think that we could learn from the past? Yeah. I mean, for us, it kind of all weaves together. So thinking that your past is kind of intrinsically linked to your 
your family and your culture and the kind of the way you were raised and and hopefully if you can find a strong foundation there that that could be a, a good place to start um the process of of healing or um recovering from an addiction or any sort of trauma you know so there's kind of three streams going there's like demon you know and then there's the the addiction and there's the cultural identity family um narrative and they all hopefully our plan was to kind of weave those together so at the end they all end up in the same place and kind of resolve each other if that makes sense well definitely and um also with uh the addiction um almost uh the possession kind of spreads in much of the way addiction spreads to the people around the person uh was that something you consciously wanted to incorporate in the film as well yeah for sure i mean the idea that like your peer your peer group can be a gateway to things and you know if you don't have the the fortitude or the support system or whatever to to battle it that could um spiral out of control you know and I uh, I really like the idea of a Mexican exorcism film. It's not something we really see in the States. Uh, was there anything from any other exorcism movies or possession films that you wanted to bring uh, to your guys' version of the genre? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, you know, we, we looked at it all um, and are obviously big fans of the classics as well. And um, we kind of wanted to simultaneously honor all of those tropes, but also try as much as we could to subvert them and reverse them or twist them, or even just seeing it from the point of view of the possessed person versus like what often is kind of like there's a mother and her daughter has been possessed or something like that. So they're kind of seeing it from the outside and we wanted to look at it from the inside out. And, you know, if everybody, if a priest showed up and told you you were possessed, he would be an antagonist in your life at that point, you know? Um, so it's kind of just an interesting way to not only culturally to flip it and put it into another, um, kind of world like that, but also perspective wise is a, I thought was really intriguing in the script. The fact that it's in the first person, like the, the main character is the one possessed, uh, I think goes back to the allegory of addiction where you are the only one who can face your own demons and the only way to overcome them is, isn't somebody else saving you or exercising them for you? It's battling them straight on. And so I think that the, the metaphor of, of possession and, 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 and the demon as addiction works so well in this movie, specifically because it is in the first person and is the main character who is battling it. And because ultimately she's the only one who defeats, she has the support of her others, of others, but she defeats it herself. Uh, yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. That's what makes, I think, this movie work better. Um, I think what makes the film work is the fact that uh, it's it's deep, like you guys just described. You know, uh, it's it's more than just trying to scare somebody. You're trying to tell a story with emotion and characters, and that's what was actually surprising. I'm not used to seeing that kind of a film, uh, like modern, and I'm not used to seeing that kind of a film on Netflix, let alone. Um, so it's it's really cool. You guys definitely are standing out, in my opinion. And um, I have a question for everyone. I wanted to know, um, the movie was filmed in Camwe, Puerto Rico, and in an actual cave. What was it like filming in those locations? And what were the weather conditions like? It rained a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Camuy Caves, um, 
well, David and Krista are the ones that scouted those originally. And they, I think they had like multiple experiences with them because they went there a couple weeks before we filmed. And it was like a whole different, well, you, you guys can tell it, but it was a different experience when you guys looked at it than when we showed up. That's for sure. Yeah, the weather is definitely fickle in that area. And uh, for example, when we scouted the cave, there was no river in it. It was a dry cave. And when we went there to shoot, it had been raining for two weeks and it rained a lot while we were there. And suddenly there was a roaring river in the cave and we, could no lo- you know, we couldn't actually cross it the way we had when we were scouting, uh, which we ended up actually adding some really cool texture to the shot, but it did complicate things while we were there of like, hmm, like how do we carry things over this raging river to get over to that side where we want to be? And it was um, so loud. Um because of the water and the, and there were, I mean, I would say conservative, conservatively hundred thousand bats, maybe. Yeah. Um, probably more. <laughs> and they were, I mean, easily, uh, like not, no exaggerating. And, um, they were so loud. I mean, those and the, and the water rushing and the echoing of the cave and everything that we could, it was very difficult to communicate. Um, and we were a skeleton crew. I mean, eight people, six people, something like that. Um, so it's a lot of running back, you know, if, if Bridget, the lead actress was entering the cave and we're back with the camera 80 feet away, like you just had to keep like running back and forth and talking and, um, cause they couldn't, nobody could understand each other. And I would try to pantomime things and there would be a whole comedy of errors where she had no clue what I was trying to tell her. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was great though. I mean, it was just beautiful after being in a soundstage for four weeks um a little over four weeks it was refreshing to be able to aim the camera pretty much in any direction and not worry about seeing a light or a ceiling or a grip or (laughs) anything (laughs) and just getting Um, to shoot out a new location because we'd shot out the entirety of the set we had built (laughs) every corner of that set went into the movie and puerto rico also has so much texture i mean not just the inside of the cave but um the jungle and uh the the, we we did shoot in these you know this like abandoned house and the house was only i think had been abandoned for like 50 years but it might like it looked like something that had been lost to the jungle for 300 years because the puerto rican jungle will devour anything left unattended within like two weeks there's vines growing on it so this this really cool shell of a house that we used just had like the most amazing plant life just all around it. And it was in this really lush jungle and it was really cool. And in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just jungle in the house. Yeah. Oh, so was the room where uh, Bridget is being held, uh, was that, you know, part of, was that in that house or was that a set? That was a set uh, in California. So the exteriors, the exteriors were in Puerto Rico where you see the kind of crumbling outside. And then all the interiors were set in Burbank. Uh, Chris, um, how did you feel the old ways pushed you as a director? And what was the hardest shot to achieve in the film? Wow. Pushed me. Um, I don't know. Does David know? (laughs) (laughs) I was pushed the whole time. (laughs) I think uh, we set you up. For, and you set yourself up to not be pushed that hard because you gave yourself a lot of time, which a lot of you know first-time directors don't necessarily have. 
and you had a small cast. We just like we kept it contained in a way that Chris could get basically everything he wanted, except for one thing. We were originally going to have vines dying and growing, like dead vines growing throughout the course of the film and sort of the, the jungle around coming to life in a very uh, gradual and intrinsic way to the continuing of the story and her realization and acceptance of her demons uh, or demon or addiction. Uh, but that it just wasn't feasible on our budget, especially like, yeah. So that basically got dropped. It is ironic that the, the one thing we couldn't get cost-wise were greens. You know, we could get also <laughs> amazing digital things that, that, that Chris can do. We got, we got like jungle because we were able to like find a way to fit it in our budget. We got an amazing set, but like greenery to behave the way we wanted it to. We just couldn't afford that. Also, Chris did an incredible amount of VFX himself. Yes. That's how he had to push himself. Like in a, Chris learned how to do everything. <laughs> Chris, you should have learned yeah, how I mean, to I, like maintain I, plant life on set. I know. I, I, the one thing I counted on you guys for, you know, um, no, I, hey. um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had to learn how to do 3d like sculpting and character animation and all that stuff. Cause we, we couldn't afford to have like a, robotic you know fully animatronic um demon so we we built the best one we could with the money that we had and we shot it you know 80 percent of the footage in the movie is is the real demon and then we had to like enhance the face um so that we could get it to emote <laughs> a little bit and um so yeah that was a you know pandemic post-production gave us a little bit of time to like learn some stuff. So it was, it was, that was beyond my comfort zone as was, I did all the um kind of sentient smoke that flies around and that proved to be, you know, pretty time consuming and, and challenging and pretty little bit out of my comfort zone, but I think it, it worked out, you know, in the end. So it looks it awesome. It was a good experience. It's a good experience. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Chris is like the most prepared director, first time director I've ever worked with, because he's also been doing this for 20 years already. <laughs> like, he's just, it's just his first time making a feature, not directing. Yeah, I guess yeah. I've produced probably three features with first time directors, something like that. So I got to kind of live vicariously through them and learn from their successes and road roadblocks and speed bumps that they ran into and um, try to just not make the same mistakes twice. And I think it, yeah, that was a good, I kind of had all the pushing beforehand and then I just wanted to execute as best as, as best as I could on this one. But I'm sure there were lots of things that made me lose all my hair, but in hindsight, it's all rosy. So it's good. I mean, the movie came out great, so it's gotta be worth it. Right. Yeah, it's exciting. We're glad to just have it out there, you know, because um, we, like we said, we we wrapped production about two days before COVID lockdown. So we never got to see the movie with anybody. I didn't even see the movie in the same room as my editor until we were mixing the final 
product for for the premiere in Spain, and then we didn't get to go to the premiere in Spain because we weren't allowed to travel. So um, we're just now kind of like, even though it kind of premiered in October of last year, we're just now getting to like share it with people, you know, more than a hundred people at a time. So it's been exciting just to see it just come out. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about the Bruja in the movie. I know I know the research was done into that and it's still very much a thing in uh, Latin America and the Caribbean uh, with the older generation. Um, what what were you able to learn just from the research you guys did into that? Yeah, I mean, the, the most exciting thing for us was kind of as we started getting into it, finding out that there was no playbook for it. Like there's no official Bruja encyclopedia out there. And um, at first that's frustrating because it's like, well, that would have been nice. You know, we could have just flipped through that and gotten all the rules, but it also gave us a lot of flexibility um, because the Brujos and Brujas tend to just kind of develop their own personal flavor um, based on circumstances in their area or things they've learned or experienced or religions that they've had access to. Uh, so that really kind of gave us a lot of flexibility to develop the rituals the way we wanted and, you know, obviously get inspired by things that we find throughout Latin America um, and Mexico, but also as far away as like Philippines and places like that, where they still, uh, you know, do some of these types of things like psychic surgeries and um, stuff like that. And then, you know, horror movie them up so that they're way more extreme and <laughs> visceral than than a real person would probably experience but um, just add snakes yeah just add snakes <laughs> and are the younger generation still carrying on this tradition or is it kind of losing prevalence depends on where you are i would say um i think uh like probably just any organized religion in the world really but but i think that but yeah, things things like this, they do still exist. You can certainly still find them. Um, but I, I don't think they necessarily hold the same sway they did even 30 years ago. Yeah. And there's a town uh, that we ended up setting the movie nearby uh, called Catamaco in Veracruz that is actually the, like, Brujo capital of the world, supposedly. And um, they it's very big business there. I mean, there's a lot, lots and lots of, um, these practitioners and people come from all around, even like the, I don't know, the government officials <laughs> come down there before elections and they have a big festival. Um, so I think, you know, it definitely comes and goes, I think. Um, and I think people dabble in it from time to time when they're having, when they want good luck or they're having a bad time or they're, <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, but that's kind of what we were touching on in this is like, you know, maybe there's value in looking into this stuff a little bit, just from a cultural identity point of view. And, um, maybe there's something that can be added to our modern day style. <clears throat> well, I, I want to take a second and actually thank every one of you. Um, because uh, I have to thank you all because, you know, as a, a huge horror fan, you know, a lifelong horror fan, every Possession film 
lately it's for years for about 20 years it's just been about how much you can contort your body and if you can run up a wall like a spider and it's like you guys totally just did not follow standard protocol and what you know in possession flicks and you just you you actually like there is a little bit of you know contortionism but that's expected even in the the exorcist you know her head spun that's going to happen but you didn't abuse it and you didn't make that like oh let's scare everybody by making them fold in half like a crab you you actually like just made a good movie and just used effects as a tool to tell the story instead of relying on the effects so i just want to say thank you guys for putting an effort and actually giving us something original Hmm. Thank That's you. the nicest compliment yeah. anyone's ever given us. <laughs> we we had a contortionist on set too, but since the character had to have her hands, her hands, she was like crucified to the ground. Um, you know, we didn't get to push Devin to her limits. <laughs> I will but, say uh, also, she did just, some cool. Okay. We had some cool outtakes. <laughs> I just wanted to say that you know, really, the credit for uh, creating that world and and coming up with this these extremely unique scenarios goes to to Marcus and Chris and uh, it was it was awesome being able to help them come you know make that vision a reality and 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 I'm really glad to have worked on this movie because I really love how it turned out and and I think but I think that uh yeah that all came from like the 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 vision and mind of these two guys and and they did a great job yeah I agree um absolutely uh is there any plans for a physical release on blu-ray or 4k where we're going to get like a feature feature commentary or some like deleted scenes because you know like we're the type of guys that love to just absorb everything we can about movies we like like a sponge yeah we have a a amazing blu-ray coming out from um dark star um in october uh it's got commentary for sure it's got um i think just over two hours of other stuff we did a we did a feature length documentary um we did we've got deleted scenes there's about 20 or 30 minutes of deleted scenes and extended scenes um there's a couple of like script uh, or like storyboard to final product things there's a storyboard version of the original ending that we couldn't afford to shoot that was like a lot more epic and insane <laughs> the whole thing took place in a cave and it was crazy um so what else is there yeah i mean but the the behind the scenes is really uh i think pretty entertaining um there's a lot of cool tidbits in there and if you're into independent filmmaking or horror filmmaking or just practical effects and gore and makeup and stunts uh, there's a lot of cool little little things in there and some really fascinating deep dives into the music because we had a um a cultural consultant who's an expert on pre-columbian um musical instruments and um he was able to bring all these amazing different types of things to the table uh and perform them with our composer and um so yeah it's it's if you like that stuff and i i always did you know i was like the biggest dvd fan ever when they first came out um this has got a lot, a lot on there. So, I mean, if you count the, if you count the commentary, it's like whatever, three and a half hours of stuff. So it's, uh, we wanted to make it worthwhile cause I know it's on Netflix. So it's like, yeah, you got it for free there. So we got to add some value, uh, for the home, home viewers. Um, Dave and Krista, let me ask you this. Um, Adam Lee did a fantastic job on the film as the cinematographer. 
the film is gritty and yet beautiful to watch. Was that always something you guys aimed for with Chris? You wanted to make a movie that was pleasing to the eyes but had enough grit to not look too polished and too Hollywood? I'll let Chris to answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Chris always had a pretty clear idea of how he wanted it to look, and he was familiar with Adam's work before and uh, and was, was, a, was a fan of it, that, you know, Adam had just DP'd a, another another film uh, with Soapbox. And, uh, yeah, he, he did an absolutely beautiful job adding a, you know, an element of, of you know, of, of larger than life and, and you know, a, a beautiful, like, fantastical element to this world while still keeping it grounded and gritty and, and, and um, keeping us sucked in and into this, this environment, especially in such a confined space, which was one of the biggest challenges that I'm sure for him as a cinematographer, um, was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was the biggest, the biggest challenge. And I think he, he did a really great job coming up with ways to always make it look interesting. And, uh, yeah. I think the other thing is, I mean, Adam really knows how to do a lot with a little, and when you're working on a budget like this, you really need that. You need the ability, you need a DP who has the creative ability to execute um, with a tiny package and a tiny crew. And he really elevated the film. I mean, he brought a lot to the table when we had, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of lights and a three-man G&ET. I mean, like, and it the movie looks a lot bigger than that. And for us, that's really, it's important. Somebody who can up production values to that extent is talented. And Adam's going to go far in the industry as a result. Yeah. It, the movie is beautiful to look at. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's so beautiful to look at and that's, and then, uh, you know, there's a poignant story there and that's what makes it, I think really, really work is that it's not, it's so much more than just a horror film. And I think, you know, with everybody involved, you guys really nailed it. And, uh, I wanted to ask all of you, um, anyone who knows, I don't know, uh, obviously Chris would know, um, was the goat's milk scene hard for Bridget to film because she did not look happy in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was um, you know we had uh, we had pr planned a whole kind of rig we built a whole thing that was like would fake it you know so that it would kind of like there would be a small amount of milk and then there was like a funnel and there was a fake plug and it would look like it was pouring you know like those baby bottles that kids have um but um it was just really you know cumbersome but we were all all on the interest of being safe and, and respecting her, you know, private space. Uh, but, um, when the time came to do it, she was like, just dump it down my throat. Just, just do it. We'll do like two takes. And I was like, really? Are you sure? She's like, yeah, let's just do it. It'll be real. Um, I'm like, okay. And it was, it was, I don't know. I would, I would say that was harder for us in some ways. Um, it was difficult to watch cause she was, very uh convincing um and maybe it was real for her i don't know um not easy she she put herself through a lot of actual torture uh, you know in in the interest of be, being more of a method actress i guess um where we had always had kind of like escape routes for her and she never took the easy way out time and time again and i think it you know it certainly wouldn't ask somebody to do that but it translated i think on screen in a way that it's probably worth it. Hopefully I think she'll, she'll say it's worth it <laughs> in the end. She was, she was a trooper 
in making this movie in general. And she, I mean, there were scenes, I remember when we were doing the hair gag scene uh, where she expels the the demon. Yeah. The hair gag gag. Everyone on set was queasy by the end of it because she was selling it so hard. And we're just watching take after take of just like endless stream of hair yeah, coming out. We of did her that mouth. for real too. Like we built a whole thing, was, and it's in the documentary. You know, you can watch. But we built a whole thing that was kind of attached to the side of her that would come out, and it just like wasn't as convincing as we wanted. And then her and the makeup artist Kelly just Kelly just figured out a way. Like a clown has the uh, you know all the scarves <laughs> in their sleeve or whatever. <laughs> I had to like meticulously roll it up so that she could put it in her mouth in a way that there could literally be like four feet or whatever it is of, of hair at a time. And, um, it was pretty nasty. Um, it was pretty, pretty gross, but she did it. And she never complained. She was always just like excited to be there, did an amazing job and could jump into the character in like a moment's notice. It was great. Wonderful actress. All of the actors on this team were amazing. All of them. Yeah, it was a dream. Yeah, I would agree. All of the acting is is very good. And she didn't even realize when we were in the cave that there were tailless whip scorpions. Uh, there were cave crickets everywhere, which are not like a normal friendly cricket. They're like big and gnarly looking. But there were also tailless whip scorpions floating around, which I don't know if you've ever seen a photo of. But they don't look of this earth. They're like horrifying little creatures. And they were, I mean, there was one like a couple feet from her uh, the entire time. And she's just just trooping it out, hanging out with tailless whip scorpions and a million bats. (laughs) They are benign, I will say. The scorpions are benign. (laughs) They are benign. They They just look horrible. Yeah, exactly. That they're gross. You got to appreciate, you know, dedicated actors and actresses, you know, and it definitely shows on screen. Um, I wanted to ask you, Chris, um, the withdrawal sequence uh, where, uh, you know, Bridget's all covered up and everything and she's having a nightmare. It's actually quite scary and suspenseful. And I wanted to know, like, that was probably your goal, I'm assuming, right? You wanted to make us scared with her as she was going through withdrawal? Yeah, I hope so. Um yeah, because, you know, uh, trying to put the audience in that perspective, because we did, you know, it's really from her point of view, like mo- much more so than most kind of bigger films. So trying to get people along on the ride as much as we could um, was always the goal. And and she's scared. So, you know, it's kind of like it was a horror movie for her. <laughs> so I figured if we were empathizing enough with her, um it would also be a a horror movie for us as well um and uh okay so uh lastly before i send you over to john i want all of you in your own words if you would tell all of our listeners why they should watch the old ways (laughs) it's free it's on netflix Uh, uh, (laughs) check it out um i don't know hopefully you'll like it i mean i think it's a fresh approach to um something we you know we feel like we've seen before uh but to see it through a different lens hopefully um and the characters i think are really interesting and there's some really cool like 
we haven't spoiled it here. Like there's, I think at the midpoint, there's a really fun kind of switcheroo on where you think it's going. And, um, that always uh, delighted me when I read the script, just kind of how things kind of, kind of change direction. Um, and I think it's really, you know, it's an interesting movie, interesting characters. You haven't seen a lot of these people, um, front and center so much and um it's always refreshing i think go see the old ways because you get to see a horror film set in another culture and also so that uh we can make the sequel old ways too <laughs> the quickening <laughs> the quickening <laughs> um <laughs> Um, I think everybody should see the old ways first and foremost, because it's really entertaining. It's a great fun movie to watch that takes things that you may or may not have seen before, but definitely in ways that you haven't seen it before. It has an all Latin American cast with the exception of one awesome token white guy, uh, cameo in there, um, by AJ Bowen, who He's, you know, a great actor in his own right, and we're glad to have him. Um, but, like, everything else is seeped in this really cool Latin American culture uh, that is that is not only creepy and scary and, like, culturally relevant, but just super fun to watch. So I think, yeah, for that reason alone, everybody should go see it. Yeah, I have to agree. It's it's just a fresh take on on an exorcism possession movie and that's really why why i enjoyed it and uh you guys graciously gave us a screener and i've just been singing the movie's praises well both of us have since we got it and i mean it's blowing up on netflix i mean y'all have to be excited at the early success that that the movies had yeah we're pretty excited it was number one in mexico for four four days straight um oh wow like while Jason Momoa was number one in every country <laughs> in the world, we were number one in Mexico. So that was pretty surprising, you know, um, and exciting. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's performing well. We just, like we said, we just saw somebody got a tattoo of it <laughs> in South Africa. So hopefully there'll be some little brujas running around at <laughs> Halloween this year. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, with the look of the Bruja, I really, um, I really like how the red and white just kind of popped. Um, who, who's, who designed the look for the Bruja? Yeah, that was um, Callie, who's our makeup artist, and and I developed that um, over a couple weeks, just back and forth, drawing stuff and looking at references, and really wanting to, wanting it to be graphic and memorable and and unique, and but also have that hand handmade like it's not made from makeup from target you know kind of look it's like they got the clay from the riverbed you know and 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 made this and the blood from a unfortunate goat or chicken or something and um <laughs> so yeah it was, um, a lot of it was a lot of collaboration a lot of awesome drawings that she did and ipad sketches that i was doing and um and then some just trial and error in the in the chair, you know, doing some um, some look development with the. Well, actually, I think Krista probably was the first guinea pig for some of it, right? I think at least for some of the scarring and the. Yeah, 
I was I was the 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 test subject to because uh, Callie had sketches of it, but in order to see it in an actual face, she she tried it on me with the with the, the scar and then the the scar on the belly as well from the psychic surgery and um, I was also the guinea pig for her to practice uh, putting the contact lens in. <laughs> The yeah, giant. So, uh, what are those called again? Scleral contacts. Slara, Slara, Slara contacts. They look like. They look like um, Dish Network uh, satellites. Scalera. Uh, they're so big. Um, I mean, intensely thick because uh, it covers the whole white. Yeah. The color and the white of your eye, um, uh, and you can't see anything through them. They're it's rough. And and Bridget wasn't. She never even worn like disposable contacts, so it was. It was a trial every time getting those things on, but they look cool. Yeah, I think it definitely paid off. And like, like I said, those colors really popped on the screen. And uh, we we definitely want to thank all of you for joining us today. And uh, do you guys have any projects upcoming you want to share? Well, check out this movie. Just out now. We've got um, that Muppets project is coming out. Um, like in a month, month and a half, um, Muppets Haunted Mansion. Um, so that's going to be pretty fun for for the young horror fan in you. Um, I don't know what else. We're working on a few few things. These guys have got stuff going on. What do you guys got? I have a movie coming out on Amazon called The Old Ways, which is, or not The Old Ways. I know what I'm doing. I have a movie coming out on Amazon <laughs> called The Voyeurs on uh september 10th and uh that's a erotic thriller that's very exciting but not really horror um and after that i'm working on a project in new orleans and uh krista and i are collaborating on a feature film for her called confection and uh it's very delicious and uh, I think that's that. That's what I've got in the works right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I have a few some projects in development. Some of them, like as David mentioned, we'll be doing together, uh, and some shorts hopefully coming out soon as well. And uh, waiting to hear when we can get the green light on the old ways too. Yep. And uh, lastly, uh, where where can people find you online? Uh, I'm just Chris Allender, um, I think, at all the places. <laughs> C-H-R-I-S-A-L-E-N-D-E-R on the on the Twitter and the Instagram and wherever else. <laughs> I only have Instagram, and it's just D-G-C-Viste, V-I-S-T-E. It's my full name. I like going professionally by the whole thing because it sounds nice. It takes you know, up David screen. Grove Churchill Viste. Chris understands the reality. It takes up the whole goddamn screen. <laughs> the whole screen. <laughs> you just want more screen real estate. <laughs> uh, and I'm just on Instagram at Krista Barini. And uh, thank you for all joining us today again. It's everybody needs to go watch the old ways. It's a great movie. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again when you get the second one made. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad you loved it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Take care.
Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there. Thank you again to Chris Allender, Krista Barini, and David Vista for joining us today. The Old Ways is a really fresh take on the Possession movie. Make sure to check it out on Netflix. And I really like the thought it went into this film. It's more than just a horror movie. There's there, there, there's a message in the movie as well. And uh, next week, we're going to be joined by the visionary of the Never Hike Alone series, Vincent DeSanti. We'll talk the Never Hike series, and we're also going to talk about some other movies that, we, that we're both fans of. And uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at High on Horror 420. And you can reach us via email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. That'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody. <laughs>